We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Podcast. It is Thursday, March 23rd, which is, of course, the 10-year anniversary of Salim Stoudemire scoring an NBA career-high 37 points in a loss to the Portland Trailblazers, one of two 30-point games in Salim's brief but explosive NBA career. I am Nick Whalen. I am back with James Anderson. Uh, a lot to get to today, as always. So much to talk about. Uh, we'll start right away with... An article that you've probably read by now. I mean, it's been up for over 24 hours. It set the internet ablaze. The first round NBA mock draft, courtesy of James and I, went up on RotoWire yesterday afternoon. Uh, this is our first real mock draft after a series of lottery mocks and prospect evaluations and NCAA tournament, you know, breakdowns with, with NBA draft specifics. Uh, but you and I went every other pick. We went through the entire first round. I had the odd picks, you had the evens. That meant that I got to pick number one. Not a surprise. Markel Fultz still atop the board. Um, I think he would have been your pick to go to the Boston Celtics. Um, had you had the number one pick as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I I don't love the fit. I don't love, you know, wherever 
Fultz ends up going, the teams that are most likely to end up with him, it's just not not a perfect situation. Like I think the perfect spot for a guy like that to go would be a place like Dallas, but uh, that's just not the way the draft order is going to shake out most likely. So he probably goes to Boston or L.A. or Phoenix. And, yeah, if they have the whoever has the first pick, it, it seems like it's going to get Fultz, but I do think on draft day there is going to be at least – you know, a, a slight chance that a guy like Ball or Josh Jackson could go number one. This reminds me a lot of last year where it was wire to wire Ben Simmons from the start of the season and in, in October to the NBA draft in June. Obviously, Simmons ended up going number one. Fultz has been the guy since the college season started. He's followed a remarkably similar college uh, career trajectory as Ben Simmons followed at LSU last season, missing the tournament and just kind of kind of fizzling out with a, a pretty unremarkable run through the conference tournament. Um, but it hasn't really impacted his draft stock at all. Whereas, you know, last year, Brandon Ingram, who, who really came on over the second half of the season and played well into the NCAA tournament, was able to, to mount a little bit of a challenge for the number one pick, but never really overcame uh, Ben Simmons. And I think we're kind of seeing that now with Lonzo Ball, who, you know, is going to play now on Friday night for UCLA in the Sweet 16 as they go up against Kentucky for the second time this season. My question to you is, can Lonzo Ball do what Brandon Ingram wasn't able to do and use the NCAA tournament to catapult himself into a legitimate, you know, battle with Markel Fultz for that number one spot by the time, you know, late June rolls around? I think he's already, like, I I think... Fultz, Ball, and Jackson are already in a legitimate battle. I just think it's Fultz is the favorite. I think it's going to be more important what those guys do uh, at the combine in, in terms of testing and what they do in the interview process than anything they could do between now and the end of the tournament. Uh, I just think that there's there's enough tape on these guys that there's really nothing they can show going forward that I think would reasonably change anyone's mind I, don't, I mean maybe if Lonzo Ball just hits has like the, some of the most clutch moments in tournament history and en route to like a natty title maybe that would legitimately change someone's mind but uh, I mean the odds of something like that happening are pretty slim right I think it would have to be more than just playing consistently good basketball like he has so far I mean it, we talked to I don't know if it was last week or the week before on the podcast about like Lonzo Ball, the personality and the star have like somewhat surpassed what he's been doing on the court. And that's really not meant to be a knock on, on what he's done on the court because his, his numbers are great. UCLA has obviously been great with him on the court. Um, but, you know, I think to the casual fan, Lonzo Ball, you know, it, 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 the way he's talked about, you'd think he'd be averaging 30, 10 and 10, you know, when in reality, that's not really the case. And, you know, on, a, on just a pure numbers basis, Markel Fultz, uh, is quite a bit better but obviously there's a lot more that goes into these picks so you know it's definitely not over I'm with you I think this is Fultz's you know number one overall race to lose I don't know if there's anything he could really do barring an injury to lose it I mean he's everything about him says he should test really well at the combine you know he's not he's as we've seen year after year he's not going to be participating in combine five on five you know he'll he'll selectively choose where he works out and as he should be able to you know there's no reason for someone who's the incumbent you know number one pick you know, you, sh- you shouldn't really have to to prove yourself against these other prospects even if people like us and, and nba teams kind of wish you would so i think it's going to be on lonzo ball it's going to be on josh jackson and maybe even jason tatum to snatch that number one spot from Fultz rather than Fultz doing anything to lose it. Yeah, I agree. 
So number two, you have Ball. We won't really talk about him. He's that that story's been beat to death. Uh, but we'll get to that UCLA Kentucky game a little bit later in the podcast. Three and four to me is becoming more of a debate. I don't know if you quite see it this way. I know you're you're Jackson over uh, over Jason Tatum. I am as well. But I think Jason Tatum over these last couple of weeks, even as Josh Jackson has played really well, I think Jason Tatum has taken his game to another level. Obviously, Duke losing over the weekend to South Carolina didn't help. Uh, But I think Jason Tatum versus Josh Jackson is a more legitimate debate when you're talking about best wing player in this draft than it's been at any point during the season. Uh, I think, yeah, maybe. I I don't think it's that close if I'm picking. Um, I, I haven't thought it's that close all season. I guess if you like Tatum you probably like him now more than you have all season Uh, I just think that there are so many arrows pointing in Jackson's favor over Tatum and you know Tatum I've heard you know brought up as if we're going to look at a guy from this draft that goes in the top five or six who ends up being a bust you know a lot of people bring up his name just because of who who's saying that the guy I mean uh you know, I've heard uh, Chad Ford say that. I've heard uh, the guy that we had on. Um, Ricky O'Donnell. Yeah, he said that. Uh, I mean, he Fair. if if he doesn't shoot from three-point range, then he is an extremely flawed player, and there's not enough of a track record to show that he's going to be able to do that in the NBA. I think he can absolutely be a dominant one-on-one scorer in the NBA in situations that NBA teams just don't get into anymore offensively. Like there's just very few offenses that would let him uh, play to his strengths, I guess, in the half court, uh, unless he's just doing it at such an elite efficient efficiency level. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there's He's an amazing prospect, like I said in my, my write-up. I mean, he, he looks like a, a typical number one overall pick. He just doesn't really look like that in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think, you know, we have him going to Orlando as things would currently shake out, and obviously these are going to change by the time the lottery is over. But I think a team like Orlando would be a great fit for, for Tatum, you know, somewhere where, you know, you're not necessarily going to win right away, but it wouldn't be a surprise if Tatum went there and, you know, averaged 17 points, five rebounds and four assists as a rookie because they don't really have that many other options. I, I would really like that fit. I think it would force them to align their, their lineup kind of the way that, that makes the most sense because you're obviously going to keep Tatum at the three. If you have Aaron Gordon, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, those two kind of have similar strengths and weaknesses, uh, so the team I think would still be pretty terrible, oh, but yeah. I, but I agree with you like that, that is a good place for him to develop and, and just get a ton of time. I think, I think he's the guy who would be a little bit more useful for a bad team like that. Not that Josh Jackson wouldn't, but I think Josh, if you are an already decent team, like for example, let's say like Boston catches a bad break and that Brooklyn pick is like third and you have a choice between Tatum and Jackson. I think Jackson's the better fit for a team like Boston that's maybe a little bit closer because I think he's more NBA ready right now. Tatum to me might have the higher offensive ceiling in seven years, but I think Josh Jackson right now is, is ready to contribute because he's so good on defense. We saw that a lot uh, in the Michigan state game over the weekend. 
Uh, I don't know how much of that you were able to catch, but as good as Jackson was defensively, he was asked to, to match up. I mean, he basically plays the four for this team a lot of the time, which we don't talk about that much because they're, they're playing that four guard lineup, essentially. Um, you, know, you can call Josh Jackson a small forward, but he's definitely not a power forward right now, which, which they're asking him to be. Um, he looked really good offensively going against Miles Bridges. I mean, moves that we'd seen flashes of throughout the year but you know we're talking one dribble behind the back you know catch your balance in midair square up and drill an 18 and a half foot jumper you know he did that a couple times he had two threes in that game and and what we didn't realize you know we we talked back in probably january about how josh jackson would be such a better prospect if he could just shoot the ball his last 15 games he's shooting 50 percent from three and you know it's not like he's taking eight threes a game but still i mean he's selective he takes good shots and he's knocking them down now at a really really high clip yeah i i think he's got a extremely high upside on on both ends of the court yeah i i really like josh jackson i think that goes without saying so jackson three tatum four to orlando five is where things start to get a little bit more complicated i went dennis smith there Uh, i think the hope for philly is that um you know that lakers pick falls out of the top three maybe and and goes to four or five and philly gets two of these top five picks um either way that they're going to be in a pretty good spot i had them going dennis smith kind of what i wrote in the write-up is he's the last of in my mind the really really elite prospects in this draft and you know there's there's a lot a lot more good prospects to come in this lottery but i think there's a line between dennis smith and you know the guys we have going six seven eight nine etc yeah, I think that that's a defensible point. Uh, I think there's people that are really high on Dennis Smith. I think there are people that aren't that high on him at all uh, and wouldn't want to be picking at five here. I think there's there's probably some teams that if they're not picking top three or four, they wouldn't mind picking eight or nine. And like if if they got compensated somehow for moving down because I think a lot of these teams there's going to be one of these five or six guys that they're really into and then they're just not going to be all that interested in some of the other players but uh I took I took Markinen at six Laurie Markinen from Arizona at six and I I just think he's by far the best big man in the draft and when you're that uh kind of there's that sort of position scarcity I think it usually tends to work in that player's favor where they're just they're just not going to fall very far because some team at some point is going to say, well, I mean, what's the difference between De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk? You know, I mean, what's the difference between uh, Jonathan Isaac and, and some of these other players? Whereas, like, we know this guy is going to be able to come in and start at the four from day one and be one of the best three-point shooters at the position and uh, be really efficient on two-point shots and and free throws, Uh Obviously, he's not going to be able to guard at a high level, um, but he's he's long enough to to guard most fours. The Porzingis mat, uh, match would would be kind of interesting because I think it would allow Porzingis to really uh, play a lot closer to the basket more often, and I think he's he's pretty deadly when he's around the rim. He's he's obviously a good shooter as well, but he's not really in Markkanen's class. Um, so I think those two would actually complement each other pretty well. So the positional scarcity thing, I think that's a good point. You know, there it's hard to see the first eight or nine picks in this draft all being for, you know, wings or, or guards. Uh, like, do you think in 2015, we kind of saw that with Russell? Not that he was, you know, a bad prospect or he was a reach at number two by any means, but you know, it was Towns, Russell, Okafor, Porzingis, 
then you had Hazonia, and then after that it was Cauley Stein. So, you know, one true guard and point guard in the top six picks insulated by a bunch of bigs. Like, do you, do you think it helps that, you know, there's a team out there that, that's really set on, all right, we need to get a big guy in this draft. So you might take someone at six who, you know, if you're just if you're sorting by absolute true value objectively, maybe marking in as the ninth or tenth best player. I I think he's higher than nine on okay. almost every team's board. Uh, I, I I thought D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns were the clear top two guys in that draft, so I didn't really see it that way. Uh, it would have been a pretty big upset, I think, at that point if one of them had fallen out of the top two. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I just think teams are going to just look at his – I mean, he's going to absolutely kill it in any kind of advanced metric testing. When you look at freshmen that shoot this way uh, from – everywhere on the court it's it's not that he's just a three-point shooter he's just he's efficient everywhere he he can go glass from 16 18 feet he's uh just he can score in so many different ways that I think there's going to be a lot of teams that just value him ahead of like when you when you start picking apart guys like De'Aaron Fox and kind of comparing them to other point guards that have similar uh, production in in college or similar tests at the combine. When you start looking at guys like Jonathan Isaac, um, and and sort of start thinking about what could go wrong, or, or Malik Monk, like you, you start questioning, can he be? Can he guard other twos? Can he play any point guard at all for us? Uh, I think you start to look at a guy like Markinen, and you just know for a fact, like this is you know worst case scenario here, we're getting maybe a better Ryan Anderson. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that that's, that's going to keep him yeah. well inside the top 10. Yeah, that's true. So at seven Sacramento, I had them taking De'Aaron Fox as you kind of hit on with Dennis Smith. I think there's probably teams that would take Fox over Smith at five. I think there's teams that would take Smith right. over Fox. I think those guys are, are firmly uh, probably in the same tier for a lot of teams. You could throw Malik Monk in there. There's going to be teams that think they could play Malik Monk at point guard. There's going to be teams that think you can only play him as kind of a Jamal Crawford type. Um, but De'Aaron Fox, I I don't know what to think about him. Like we've, we've gone over and over on how the three-point shooting is a big-time issue. And it's not just that he you know isn't a good three-point shooter. He's like a really bad three-point shooter. I think we tried to look up you know like similar types of players in college. And, I mean, Fox is you know seven or so percentage points, I think, worse than John Wall even was. Um, the nice thing is like he has a good looking stroke. Like he, he's fine if he takes a step or two inside the three point arc, which, which is kind of odd and makes you wonder if it's some, you know, it's kind of like a mental thing at this point because he shoots it well from the mid range. He's a great athlete. He had some, some wow type of plays, uh, over the weekend in that Wichita state game, just blowing by, um, I forget what that freshman's name was the, the point guard for Wichita state. But, um, I like De'Aaron Fox. I think, you know, again, in a lot of drafts, he's a top five pick. In this draft, his deficiencies kind of knock him a tier below those other three point guards. Uh, but, you know, again, somebody that by the time the draft rolls around wouldn't be shocking if he goes five or six. I also don't think it would be shocking if he fell out of the top ten uh, once. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of going down this draft board and looking at which players are shooting a worse percentage than him from three. <laughs> And it's the only guys that Harry Giles, the only, like Harry Giles, uh, John Collins, because I don't think John Collins takes. I think threes. he's taken one this year. Uh, 
I know I checked recently. Motley, Jonathan Motley's shooting better than De'Aaron Fox from three. Oh, yeah, by and, a lot. And Motley's Motley shoot like 25%. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, like Jared Allen, I'd have to look that one up. Uh, I don't know if he's taking any threes, but... Um, that's I mean, that's what that's what we're at right like now. Is we're Caleb comparing Swanigan him. We're comparing him to the centers. Way of this better draft. at shooting threes. Yeah. Tyler Lydon better at shooting threes. Rab's um, better. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how kind of historic this sort of issue is. And how many times do we have to see guys like this just wash out of the league? Like, go look at all the point guards that came into the year like with a little bit of like, oh, this guy like Rajon Rondo, Derrick Rose. Ricky uh, Rubio, Michael Carter Williams, like traded for Tony Snell. And like, people are now talking about that as like a terrible trade for the bulls. Like, uh, <laughs> which is its own separate I mean, sad like, story. Th- th- these are like, there's just not really any examples. No, there's not um, like maybe like, could he be like Tony Parker, like in the perfect like offense where he just really right. doesn't have to take any threes like, yeah he sure. could but you, you're starting to have to use qualifiers you know it's yeah. you're going from could he be like this spurs player yeah like, could he <laughs> could he be like all of a sudden it's like all right if he has if we can check off this this and this then he'll be good whereas you're looking at these other guys and it's like all right if, if he can just do this and this he'll be fine right. with fox you have to kind of start situationally placing him and, and if, that's where you start to and get if hurt. you're sending him to sacramento <laughs> or Ooh. if you're sending him to new york or to minnesota like Mm-mm. these are just not the places where he's gonna be able to kind of overcome that in my mind so to me like i if i'm just looking at fox versus monk i'm like well at least i know at least i know like you know if monk can't guard and he can't uh you know may- maybe he's just like a really really good six man sort of in that that Lou Williams, uh, Jamal Crawford mold, like at least that's something. Maybe maybe he's J.R. Smith. Like that's that's a very useful player. The downside with Fox, like if if he doesn't do X, Y, and Z, is that he's just on a different team in two years. You yeah, know, that that's that's kind of what you're looking right. at. Right, exactly. Because even you know you can say yeah he'd be a good backup, which he would. But like even backup point guards need to be able to shoot threes. You know, like no one's really looking to bring on this guy for 20 minutes a night who's not a shooting threat at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I hate to bash De'Aaron Fox because I do like him, but you got to realize that there are risks there. It's sad. He's sort of the point guard version of Jaleel Okafor, where it's just sort of sad. It's sad in a way that the NBA has gone in this direction where this player with all these unique skills isn't might not be that valuable. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to put it. So at number eight, you went Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, I just I, I know the there's tons of risk. He's super raw. He, um, you know, offensively, I think you would see him really struggle in his rookie season. I think that he would have to be really strong mentally, you know, to, to not get too down on himself. But I also think that there's physically there's enough here, and just even just defensively, like you know, he how many guys can be a team's primary rim protector and go out in the perimeter and guard mm-hmm. the other team's best slasher. So I, I think that there's there's enough here that I, I don't see him falling yeah. out of the top 10. No, I don't think so either. And I think he's a guy, too, that teams will have pretty drastic opinions on. Well, and don't you think Minnesota, like Minnesota to me still remains the toughest team to project um, because like on the one hand, they sort of have everything covered. And on the other hand, they have like nothing covered. Exactly. Uh, but they also, 
like, can you picture them taking another like score first guy? Well, that's that the thing. Doesn't bring anything to the table defensively because they they've got two guys like that already. And look at where it's gotten them. Yeah, well, and one of them is yeah. He's I guess hurt, you can yeah. yeah. One of them's hurt and Levine. So they kind of have to make a decision with Levine. And I think that's just going to kind of be a all right. You know, we're expecting him back and prove that you're where you were last year. If that's where if that's you know how you're going to play, then fine, we'll keep you. Uh, but I don't see, you know, they're not going to make a commitment to Levine long term right now until they see what he looks like when he gets back. But yeah, I think if it, if it was like theoretically between Isaac and Monk, you go Isaac because you can find ways to insert Jonathan Isaac and use him. He doesn't need the ball like Towns does, like Wiggins does, like Levine does, and even like Rubio to some extent does not to shoot it, but to, to distribute it and control it. Malik Monk needs that too. So unless you're drafting Malik Monk to immediately just you know kind of pigeonhole him as a bench score which makes sense um i think isaac's just the more useful player there i think you could dream on like a towns isaac wiggins front court yeah. in you know three years where you just have so much length so much athleticism so much shooting from those three spots mm-hmm. that it could just be really deadly whereas it would mean less shabazz <laughs> it'd mean less gorgi jang uh, right Malik, like Malik Monk, pair him with Zach, Zach Levine and Ricky Rubio. And I, I just, you know, it's, it's just not that exciting. Malik Monk is who the Timberwolves would have taken four years ago. Like this would have been, this, <laughs> it's like, we keep joking. Like, oh, this guy seems like a king. Like Malik Monk, yeah. one, he seems like a king too, yeah, but he seems yeah. he, like that would have been the classic Timberwolves pick in he like 2012. Like That's such a diss. It is. Um, <laughs> so speaking of Sacramento Kings with their Pelicans pick which uh, as of right now would be number nine. Again, that's going to change day to day. Uh, Malik Monk, nine seems about right. I think he's a guy that could, you know, if Kentucky beats UCLA and he, if, if all he needs to do is have like another one of those 35 plus point games at any point the rest of the way, all these games are going to be so big that his profile is going to explode. Not that that's going to promote him into the top five or anything, but I think it could like really solidify him in the top 10. This is one. This is the part of the draft where I start to wonder, like, why Robert Williams is returning to school. Because I feel like we would be getting closer and closer to the draft, and you'd see Robert Williams pass, if not one, maybe both the Kentucky guys on a lot of teams' boards, just because you you have so much raw potential to work with um, and so much to kind of dream on. Whereas Monk. I don't know if there really is anything to sort of dream on. He just sort of is what he is. He's a volume scorer. He's, he's athletic. He's kind of a tweener physically. So um, He's going to be a great athlete even at the NBA level, but I don't think the discrepancy is going to be quite as much where it will be such an advantage as it is for him now. And I think his height will be a much bigger issue. Like it, His height was a complete non-issue in college well he's so athletic it, it's like he's six six because he, he can right. just get there, up over there anybody. are no no two guards are guarding malik monk and really challenging his shot in right. college whereas in the nba he's gonna have a lot of two guards where he doesn't have that space just isn't there anymore right. like he, he's got a clean release it's a pretty quick release but it's just he can get it off sort of whenever he wants, like off the dribble, even when he's not, doesn't have a pick in college. Whereas in the NBA, that shot's just not right. there. The two guard for Ole Miss, who's six, two with a 31 inch <laughs> vertical is not, you know, you're not going up against, no. I don't know who Devin Booker, who's, you know, six, seven with a 35 inch, vertical. it's just going to be different. And I think Monk's going to be good. Like, I really think he'll find ways because 
he's crafty he has he has incredible touch and like the skill that that i wrote about him in this article is like you can't teach the tough shot making ability that he has i mean you watch any kentucky game this year and there's three or four shots where you're just like why one why is he taking this and then it's okay well he made it and there's just like at the college level you just don't find players who one take those shots and two routinely make those shots so i think that's going to translate well he's just not going to be the star in the nba that he is at the college level and that's all right because if you're taking him nine or ten that's kind of how the expectation should be number 10 dallas uh a team much like miami who probably is playing a little bit too well for their future yeah. uh fortunes but right now holders of the 10th pick they still get a pretty good prospect and potentially a point guard of the future as great as yogi ferrell has been relative to expectations it's not like you're pinning the hopes of your franchise to that guy so frank tealclina goes number 10 to dallas yeah i considered him at six to yeah. new york uh i could see them falling in love with the idea of trying to strike twice in terms of international prospects and he's a guy that i think you're gonna have less teams being like oh well he can't do this and he can't do that because they're just his weaknesses haven't you know to the extent that he has them at this age at this age they haven't really been exposed the way that some of these other guys uh, weaknesses have been i think he's the wild card of the lottery i think he could go anywhere from like that six to 14 range really just kind of depends which of the teams in that range Mm -hmm. have seen him a lot and and really like him so i i don't know where he goes i think dallas could really uh do a lot worse than this i think if they end up taking some of the guys that uh we have going after tilakina they're Mm -hmm. they're most likely getting role players and they really need to try to uh, hit on a little star potential here yeah, as is the case with most of these international guys, it's not really until after the college season and even into like, you know, the real scouting season where you start to learn more. You know, like we know as much about Tilakina now as we did four months ago, and his stock has just kind of remained static. So once he starts working out, once teams start to hone in on this stuff, then we're going to see his stock either go up or down. And like you said, I think he could go as high as five, and he could probably go as low as somewhere in the middle of the first round if all of a sudden teams start putting him in workouts and he doesn't perform or or look as good as he has over in Europe. Number 11, I'm not convinced that uh, this prospect is going to go this high, but I don't think there's a player in this draft who helped himself more by coming back to school than Justin Jackson. I mean, we talked to him at the combine last year and he was very much on the verge. He probably would have been an early second round pick. You know, he didn't look great at the combine. His measurements are good, although he's really skinny his shooting numbers were terrible as a sophomore and he's been great. He's ACC player of the year. Um, you know, I think he's up like nine percentage points from three and that's really been the difference. So, uh, Justin Jackson to the hometown Charlotte Hornets at number 11. Yeah. Texas uh, native, Justin Jackson. I would have been shocked if you'd told me he was a legitimate lottery pick, uh, coming into the year. That's, I mean, that's, I remember when we were interviewing guys at the combine and he just sort of had that sort of sad, like, uh, <laughs> and mellow Trimble. crap, I gotta, I gotta go back to school, I guess. Like that kind of look on his I face. I think it became like over the course of the couple of days we were there, it was like more and more evident like, or each like day. It was like, he's oh, sitting no. at a table, like nobody wants to go talk to him. Like, yeah, that's stuff. the, that's the thing. When we say we talked to him at the combine, that means no one else wanted like, to talk to him and like he was we available. We were talking directly to him in a room full of reporters because nobody else was interested in talking to him. And uh, 
were like other guys like that too, where I just like I wanted to go talk to him, not because I had anything to ask him, just because right. I kind of felt bad. You're almost like, like this is suspicious. Like <laughs> you must you must have had a really rough day if yeah. no one's talking to you. Uh, Kyle Wilcher was one but, of those I guys. I mean, talk about a success story, though. Like, yeah. how many, like the uh, honestly, the odds of guys doing that where they go to the combine, decide that it's not worth it for them to go out, come back, and legitimately improve their stock to this level. Yeah. I mean, that's it's the American dream. going to be extremely rare going forward in this new system where guys can go uh, try out like that and then come back. It, it's just so hard to improve your stock like that when, especially, like, it's it's almost easier if you're sort of the Frank Kaminsky type that never started on anyone's radar and then right. you slowly build up. But when you start as a, a big-time recruit and then your draft stock continues to drop, it's really rare that you see a, a guy spike mm-hmm. it back up. So Right. And like going to the combine, there's only so much you can do. You, like Unless you throw up some kind of crazy measurement. Like You could score 40 back-to-back in the scrimmages, and I don't honestly think that would help. You know, like I think the measurements are twice as important that weekend than, yeah. than the games themselves are so yeah but like you said i mean you, you very rarely see this i mean the the process of being able to test the waters and not hire an agent um you know is fairly new so we haven't had a huge sample but but still justin jackson i mean is probably plus 20 spots at least mm-hmm. uh, over where he was and, last year and i think if unc wins it all that probably solidifies him as a late lottery pick yeah uh yeah i got no issue with you having him here at, mm-hmm. at 11 um there's just you know this next guy i think is sort of the outlier in this big group of guys we're going to get into here in that sort of 11 to 20 range but i mean really any of these guys could go Mm. in any order just depending on what team is picking where and and how much they liked them i mean i think a team could definitely fall in love with a guy like jackson just because of his versatility Let's take a quick break so I can get all corporate on you for a second and tell you about pristineauction.com. Pristine Auction is the place to go if you're a sports fan and are looking for memorabilia for your man cave or just your personal collection. eBay's great, but with a site like that where anyone can sell anything, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. And with Pristine Auction, everything is guaranteed to be 100% authentic and only from the most trusted sources. Plus, buying in an auction format makes everything more affordable. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy to register. And unlike other auction sites, it's free to bid. That means you only pay when you win. Seems like a pretty great deal. Pristine Auction has a ton of memorabilia from all major sports, even soccer if you're into that. I was checking it out earlier today when they told me I had to do this read, and I did what any sensible person would do. I immediately searched for Jacksonville Jaguars items, and I can report that I was pleasantly surprised to find some Marquise Lee signed game-use cleats for a suspiciously affordable price. Check out Pristine Auction. That's P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E Auction. Pristine Auction. It's authentic, it's affordable, and you only pay for what you win. So at number 12... This one I don't agree with, um, but I also don't think it's by any means out of the question just because of you know this player's stature as a prospect. You have Harry Giles at 12 to Portland, uh, the first of three picks owned by the Blazers in the first round. Yeah, I think it just I think we disagree on where this point in the draft is, but there's clearly going to be a point in the draft where teams look at who's available on the board see a bunch of guys that they're all projecting as, you know, maybe this guy maxes out as like a a good, but not great starter for us. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we can 
maybe he can be our power forward of the future, but he's never going to really be the guy that we're, we're super satisfied with. Uh, whereas Giles, obviously the risk is well-documented, um, but he has legit superstar upside. I think uh, the specific injuries coming back from is one where I think expectations were a bit too high for what he might do when he got on the court this year, especially when you factor in uh, just that Duke team in general, like, you know, I mean, it's just so hard. It was so hard for like any of those guys to, to really mesh Tatum's a, a unique talent and a ball dominant player on the wing. So I think it's, it's a lot easier for a guy like him than a guy like Giles when you, when you're dealing with guys like Allen, Kennard, Tatum, all just dominating the ball. You haven't had much time to practice with these guys. We saw Marquez Bolden, get completely phased out of the rotation because he just wasn't the caliber of prospect that was able to come right in and, and play Giles. I thought played a lot better down the stretch. I think when he gets into individual workouts and gets examined by teams, doctors, that's going to be what ultimately determines where he goes. If a team's doctors tell them like, we can, we can take this guy. We think that we can, uh, we think that we can keep him healthy. Uh, we, we have a plan in place for how many minutes he's going to play his first season. We think he can really take off in his second season. Uh, I think he could go inside the top 10 if he gets that kind of okay from a team's medical staff, uh, just because after, I, I think even ahead of a guy like Justin Jackson, like after those 10 guys we talked about in the top 10, Giles is really the only guy left with, with Robert Williams going back to school that I think you could make a case has has star potential. So I, I think he does go in the lottery kind of by a, a you know default pick by, mm-hmm. by a team that just looks at the players there, looks at their team and says, look, we need to chase a star here. I mean, Portland has role players up their ass. Like they, they don't need another guy that's going to come in and give them 25 good minutes a night. Like they, they need a guy that can, they can pair with Lillard and McCollum mm-hmm. and, and really be the the third piece there. So I, I think it, it makes sense. I know Portland's had a ton of history with um, big men uh, and injuries. Have they? I can't think of, any. I <laughs> but can't think I think of any. It, I also think it would just be kind of insane to use that past history and just be like, well, we can't take another one of those guys. Like, yeah. you, you have to evaluate each prospect individually and, and each spot in the draft and the players on the board there. I mean, they need someone to break the curse, right? I mean, this is, this <laughs> is going to be the They're one. Due. Yeah, we're, we're due, due to hit on a guy. <laughs> exactly, yeah, if you want to use the word do strategy. Um, <laughs> I love that. So this is, well, and the thing with Portland, too, is they have those two other picks. So, like, if there's a team, and they're, they're later, they're in the 20s, so it's like maybe this isn't the one that you gamble on or whatever, but at least you have two other picks and you, you can kind of be a little bit looser with, with how you how you play those so 13 the bulls i went john collins here i the bulls roster i don't know what it's going to look like by the time the by the time draft night is over i feel like it's like a 50 50 chance that jimmy butler might not be on that team it seems like they're done with miritich i don't know if anyone's really safe i think at some point if they they're gonna have to hit the reset button maybe not the rebuild button because they've made it very clear they don't want to do that uh regardless of which path they take i think collins you know, maybe he doesn't have superstar potential, um, but I, I think he could be a really, really good player in the NBA. And, and getting that at 13 seems like a steal to me. Still relatively unknown. You know, he's a guy that could rise a few spots higher in workouts, could fall a little bit. Playing on a bad Wake Forest team it was a little bit tough to evaluate, but the numbers are good. I mean, basically averaged 20 and 10 in the ACC 
shot 62% from the floor, doesn't shoot threes. That's an issue. He's going to have to get better at that. And he only had 17 assists all season, I mm-hmm. think. So not a guy by any means that you're looking to like run your offense through in a year or two. He's, he's just going to be, you know, I think at best he becomes like a really good number two option at power forward. It's isn't it weird when there are like big time college players, regardless of their position that don't shoot threes anymore. Like it's just such a weird, well, especially like college. It's not like he's Isaac Haas, you know, it's not like he's playing on a team where he can't just decide, Hey, I'm shooting threes. You know, it's (laughs) not like he's on like Duke and he doesn't have the green light because Mm -hmm. there's all these other guys. Like he could just do pretty much whatever he wants. And he decided I'm not shooting threes. I think the same I always think this one when we're talking about um, we don't talk about him on the pod for obvious reasons, but like Ethan Happ at Wisconsin, like dominant offensive player has zero interest in stretching the floor at all. And it's going to I mean, I'm not saying it's going to cost him like millions of dollars because he might be terrible at it if he did. But like he he could make himself millions of dollars if he were to prove that he could go out there and and make threes. Mm Collins has been so good that he hasn't even need to do that, done that, and he's right. going to probably go on the Well, the line. thing with Collins, like Hap, you know, you could argue, uh, you know, especially knowing what we know now with Wisconsin playing in the Sweet 16, it's like Hap trying to be a three-point shooter probably hurts Wisconsin. Collins being a, being a three-point shooter probably maybe, you know, probably does hurt Wake Forest at first, but what do they have to lose, you know? Like, I, I think with Collins, you know, not that I'm saying, like, every prospect should just play for their own stock and do that, but, like, if you shoot one or two threes a game and just, you know, step out every now and then like, like Ivan Rab, uh, I think that goes a long way. Like even, even if John Collins made six or seven threes on the season, that looks a hell of a lot better than Oh, for one career from three, <laughs> like hasn't even, you know, yeah. hasn't even approached that. Uh, all right. So end of the lottery, number 14, uh, you're going OG Ananobi. I think with the firing of Tom Crean, it's looking increasingly likely that Ananobi will probably end up coming out. Uh, who knows what Indiana's roster is going to look like next season. Disappointing year from him, mostly because of injury. Um, so I think his stock, you know, I, I wouldn't say the injury helped his stock by any means, but he also, you know, with Indiana being a really disappointing team, and again, part of that was because Ananobi wasn't an impact player, I think he was kind of insulated, you know, from from his stock dropping all that much, and that's why we see him here at 14. Yeah, I... I think he could go anywhere in the teens uh, from really from like 11 to 20. I don't really see him falling out of the twenties just because when you start comparing him to some of these other wings, like a healthy Ananobi is just so much more exciting than, than some of these other players. Right. Uh, the Pistons are a really tough team to, to peg in terms of what they're going to do. I think they're nearing a point where they kind of have to look at that Stanley Johnson pick and say, you know, we, we might've swung and missed there. It's very big of you to say as uh, an Arizona fan. <laughs> They, you know, I think a lot of people would tell you Reggie Jackson's probably their biggest issue. Uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? Like draft some point guard in, at pick 14 and replace Reggie Jackson. Uh, that's not really an option. There's they're know. in a tough they're like the Bucks yeah. four years ago when yeah. you're, you're just like everything looks bad. Like, but you're winning. You you're winning enough games do? where you can't yeah. get good prospects. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think on Anobia, you said the same thing about. Um, I forget who it was, uh, uh, marketing, you know, where it's like, yeah, even if he doesn't become a superstar, you at least know what you're going to get. Right. And like with Ananobi, worst case scenario, he's just like a really, really good defender who you can throw out there and say, guard three different positions. That, that's, he is just so prototypical for guarding multiple positions. It, it's, you know, we say it about all these guys. We say it, you know, about, um, 
you know, Josh Jackson, uh, Jonathan Isaac, Ananobi to me, like he could, he's legitimately big enough, I think, to guard fours and obviously big enough to guard uh, twos and threes. So I think that that, that works. Uh, If he could just develop, you know, a reliable three point shot, I mean, he becomes, you know, maybe one of the best three and D wings in the league. So getting a guy like that at the end of the lottery Mm -hmm. is, is not bad. I think his floor is like a little bit worse. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, you know, and like, I think he has the potential to be a considerably better offensive player than Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And that's not saying a whole lot because yeah. I mean, Michael, Michael Kidd jumper. Gilchrist went number two overall he in, did. in a draft. He like, did that. That's in a pretty decent draft get, at the yeah. time. Uh, all right. We'll go a little bit faster now that we're out of the lottery. Justin Patton from Creighton. Uh, I took at 15 to go to Denver. Miles Bridges, 16 to Miami. I think he's a guy that, Probably ends up coming out when it's all said and done, but not for sure yet. 17, Ivan Rabb to the Bucks. We've talked about him before on the podcast. So we'll skip over. 18, Jonathan Motley uh, of Baylor. They're still alive uh, as the Sweet 16 commences tonight. We got him at 18 to Indiana. I think this feels about right for Motley. I don't see him rising too much further. I think he could fall maybe a few spots, but athletically, lengthwise, he's a prototypical NBA four. I actually, I do think he could climb a bit higher um, just because I, I think he's going to test really, really well. Obviously, the wingspan's documented, seven, three and a half. Uh, but I think, you know, if he, if he has some impressive vertical numbers and some impressive uh, lateral quickness testing, I think that people are going to look at him as a potentially elite defender. Uh, the shooting, uh, like, there, there might be a team that just looks at his jump shot and is confident that they can, they can at least get him to like 33, 34% with a, with a little coaching. So I think if, if that team happens to be picking 13 or 12 or even like 11, he, he's got as much physical tools as any of these guys we, we just talked about in the past seven or eight picks. 19, we have TJ Leaf. He's another guy we've, we've spoken about and written about quite a bit, of course, of UCLA. Terrence Ferguson, who I believe we mentioned a couple weeks ago uh, as you know, in the, the piece that I wrote about non-lottery prospects. He's a complete wild card, you know, big, big-time prospect out of high school, a top 10 overall recruit um, for a number of reasons. Basically, like, basically, you should never be associated with a school that's associated with Deion Sanders. Uh, Emmanuel <laughs> Moutier made that mistake. Terrence Ferguson made Big that mistake. mistake. And now he's in Australia, basically playing like 12 minutes a game. Uh, but like extreme athletic talent, a guy who ha- would be like a top five athlete in the NBA uh, right away. And I think he's probably someone that's not going to make an impact as a rookie, but down the road could be a pretty intriguing prospect. Portland's second pick at 21, Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, our first international prospect. I'm not going to pretend I know anything about this guy, uh, although I was really interested to read that he apparently has some like pretty serious like attitude issues and like yells at teammates and stuff. So that, that'll be kind of cool to have that in the NBA. 22 to Toronto, you went Jared Allen, the center out of Texas. I think we, we kind of forgot about Jared Allen, uh, full disclosure, when we were making this, and there's probably a chance that he goes higher than 22, uh, but we'll go with that for now. 23... Luke Kennard, you knew you, you've probably been like wondering, do we forget about Luke Kennard? This seems way too late. Luke Kennard at 23 to Orlando, the, the second coming of JJ Redick. 
Um, 24, the Brooklyn Nets. This would be the Wizards pick that they got in the Bogdanovich deal. Uh, you, you made this pick, so I'll let you try to pronounce this. <laughs> um, Rudian Kurix? Sure. Sure. That would, this <laughs> one of those names where we, we could find out it's pronounced completely differently in a month, and then we you know, just have to go with that. I, it looks like it would be Radion's Kurix, yes. Do you like my Mario Hazonia count? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> to take it a shot at his own, you there? Well, he's a, like he's a you know six seven wing who everyone loves his jump shot. You know? Yeah, uh, <laughs> never fails. <laughs> that always works out. Uh, yeah, we again we don't know anything about about Kurix or Hardenstein, so we're not going to pretend to talk about him like we do. <laughs> you want to make one of them one of your guys? No. <laughs> it, well, Hardenstein maybe. I need to see him. I need to actually see tape of him berating his teammates, and then I It'd will be, do that. He'd be a great guy to talk to at the combine. Really kind of get yeah. inside his psyche. Oh, yeah. That would actually be really fun. Um, <laughs> just kind of like prickle him with some questions just, and like. Just be like, so, you know, like. <laughs> so, how what, often what do you of, yell at teammates? What, what type of behavior pisses you off <laughs> if you're, you know, just in a locker room setting? Who's like your idol in the NBA? Like, like, Joseph Nurkic, right? Like, it's got to be like Nurkic. Uh, 25, the Utah Jazz. I gave them Tyler Lydon. I think, you know, that's this is the area that we're going to see Tyler Lydon go off the board. Utah. A lot of decisions to make with that roster. If they end up spending to bring back George Hill and bring back Gordon Hayward, that means they're probably not going to be able to afford Joe Inglis. So I think Leiden kind of steps in as that uh, cheap replacement there. 26, the Brooklyn Nets pick Caleb Swanigan out of Purdue. Uh, yeah, I think that he he's a guy that has a super wide range where he can go in the first round. I think he, he will go in the first round, but... Uh, Shot from three um, much better this year than really anyone could have hoped, yet he still hasn't firmly climbed into everyone's top 20, even though he's a clear top two player of the year candidate. Um, it's, it's, at this point, it's just got to be the height and athleticism, right? Yeah. And he's not that undersized. I mean, he's like 6'9". I, I, I said, like, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to me if, if a couple teams fell in love with him in that top 20 and just looked at him as this year's uh non-freshman who is really productive in college and gets underrated uh but i also think there's going to be teams that look at him and have flashbacks to dj white and adrian Payne and just kind of see a, a guy that dominated in the big 10 michael sweetney without any kind of athletic tools um i mean he's got a he's got a long wingspan um if that if that jump shot is for real then he could be a team center, I think, in mm-hmm. certain lineups, just because I think he's big enough physically to to withstand that kind of pounding. But um, uh, to me, he, his career is going to be the most interesting to monitor. Yeah, of the the non like elite uh, prospects in this draft, he's a guy too that like if he if his stock is late first round right now, like he better come out because I don't know if there's anything he could do as he gets older right. and older. Like, I don't think he's going to get any higher than the, this. The six foot nine big man, like stock, like the six foot nine center stock doesn't increase if you're mm-hmm. a junior instead right. of over what you're, what you are. As I think, uh, yeah, I think Swanigan would go 25 next year. He'd go 25 after his senior year too. <laughs> like, um, oh, now he's old and undersized. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, that's uh, really the way it would go. If you're going to be a 6'9 power forward, you have to be able to be a freak athlete and shoot threes. He can only do one of those things. But again, he's not a bad athlete. Like You don't watch this guy and, and think you're watching like Samardo Samuels. Um, shout out to Samardo Samuels, by the way. But I think Swanigan maybe 
as much as Justin Jackson and as much as someone like a Dylan Brooks or even a Jonathan Motley, if Purdue beats Kansas and makes a run to the Final Four and he keeps playing like he has so far, he would want he would be a shoe in for for the MLP of the tournament. Uh, we're getting a little bit ahead of our, ahead of ourselves there, but like if he if he throws up like thirty points, seventeen rebounds, and five assists, and Purdue beats Kansas, I think you know that that could go waves toward you know giving him a little bit of momentum and pushing him maybe into the late teens. But even then, it's hard to see it like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, probably at the absolute best. 27 the portland trailblazers this one is the cavaliers pick technically uh the other day i did did some serious digging and and found out why exactly the blazers own this pick it's a long story it dates back like four <laughs> on, years on per my request I yeah was like, per your request. i was like wait how do how do the blazers have the Cavs pick and then it was, it there was, was a lot was, of like really really messy yeah, I honestly, I don't even remember off the top of my head, but there was I think there's three trades, uh, yeah. and then basically Portland ended up getting this pick from Utah in the Nurkic trade. Utah got it from someone else. They initially got it from the Cavs, but Jawan Evans is who I went with here. Uh, I think you just kind of take best player available. I think Portland could use a backup point guard. Uh, I think Jawan Evans is a starting caliber point guard or will be within the next few years. He's already officially declared, so he's in the draft. He's my favorite player in this draft. I think I've made that clear over the last couple of weeks. I think he has poor man's Chris Paul potential up the wazoo. I think he's going to be awesome and up the wazoo. I don't don't like to, you know, I like to keep this a family friendly pod mostly, but uh, up the wazoo. I think Jawan Evans is going to be awesome. And I think he would, Portland would be a good spot to develop for a couple of years before someone kind of recognizes that potential and, and makes a play to make him their starter. Yeah, he's your guy. He is he is my guy. 28, Bam Adebayo. I think he goes higher than this. I don't think he's anybody's guy. Uh, I think he, he probably does go higher than this. Uh, he He's really athletic. He looks the part. Like, he looks the part of just a, you know, prototypical big man that, that can move really well, um, really great body. But he also just doesn't block shots. At, I mean, he blocked like he averaged like one point three blocks this year. Which, when he does block a shot, though, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going into like the seventh row. In college, like if you're playing at Kentucky and you're blocking one point three shots and you're the big man, you're playing like twenty eight minutes. That's just not that impressive. Mm-hmm. Doesn't shoot threes. Uh, we've harped on this plenty. It's just a changing era in the NBA where teams just they don't want to get burned by taking the big man that can't protect the rim or shoot threes. Uh, but there will come a point in the first round where it's just like, well, yeah. look, you know, he at the very least, he's like a elite, you know, lob finisher. He can run. Um, that's that's valuable to teams. You know, like you could you could put him next to a guy like James Harden and just have him run that the pick and roll and just finish a bunch of lobs. Right. That's um, what his destiny right now, at least in the NBA, is just right. Rim runner. I mean, he's, he's still he's going to test, you know, just jump out of the gym yeah. when they do the vertical testing. He's a load. He already has an NBA body at 19. And like the physical attributes alone are going to be enough to you know to keep his stock afloat regardless of what happens. Twenty nine, I went Jaron Blossom game. Uh, Jaron, Jaron, sure, yes, uh, <laughs> yes on both accounts. Jaron Blossom game from Clemson, four year college guy, came back to school, probably hurt himself. He shot forty five percent from three last year, twenty six percent this year, so not great. But uh, I think he's still a guy that's going to be borderline and, you know, end of the first round, early second round. It's got good size, kind of prototypical NBA wing who could be a decent bench guy. And, you know, 29 to the Spurs seemed like a good spot for him. 
And 30, Zach Collins out of Gonzaga. Uh, this would be the Utah Jazz pick, originally owned by the Golden State Warriors. I think the reason we left Collins this late is because I would say right now it seems like he'll probably come back to Gonzaga, but if he strings together a couple really impressive games, he could end up leaving being the first one-and-done ever uh, for Gonzaga basketball. And if that's the case, he probably goes higher than 30, but it, it's just hard to really you know, project him in, in that mid-first round range when we really don't know if he's even going to come out. Yeah, I think if he does come out, he goes goes a lot higher. Uh, really, he, he's another guy that's going to have uh, elite um, advanced metrics when, when teams put him into their whatever type of software they have for determining that he's going to think it's score. the rotowire draft software <laughs> score score really well. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that does it. That does do it. Yeah. So let us know if you disagree with any of these. I actually it'd be better if you just let us know if you agree. And if you just want to let us know, like, great job guys, you nailed all 30 of those picks. I thought those were perfect. All right, let's talk about the NCAA tournament quick. 16 teams remain. Six, uh, Sweet 16 play gets underway tonight. We get Kansas, Purdue, Oregon, Michigan, Gonzaga, West Virginia, and Xavier and your Arizona Wildcats. Which of these four games are you most intrigued by tonight? Hold on a second. Got to pull this up. Uh, you'd think I knew I'd know this off the top of my head. I just read them to you. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, all right. See, you'd think I would know this. I don't know what I don't know what we've done that would make anyone um, think we would know this off the top of our heads. I think West Virginia Gonzaga to me is going to be the best game. Uh, West Virginia is a really really good four seed. Uh, I think Gonzaga. My new pet peeve is people just proclaiming that oh Gonzaga they're they're not going to do they're going to do anything they're 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 trash like. They're they're crappy one seed. That's that's my new pet peeve. So I really want Gonzaga to win this game. Um, I get if you want to make that claim based on scheduling, fine. I mean you're wrong, but fine. You just can't say like you know they're this mid major team because they recruit as well as any high major team not named Kentucky and Duke and also, Kansas. Look at the Villanova team that won last year. Like they had a really uh, they had a roster of guys that had played right. multiple years together. Like they didn't have any high-end pros on that team they didn't play really much of anyone during the regular season like you can't just say a team that has one loss and by like any advanced metric is the best team of the country you can't just say that they're if shabazz napier can lead a team to a national title then you know (laughs) dadgummit i think nigel williams goss can look folks gonzaga they're they're a pretty good team uh but i I think this is gonna be a good game three-point point spread on that one uh Honestly, I think Michigan's going to win against Oregon um, fairly, I think, I think by like five or six at least. Uh, Are we going to see more programs start to put their players through like traumatic transportation incidents <laughs> to, try to, to try to use as like a motivational factor? Um, I also, I think Arizona wins. I just, I think it's going to be closer than people think. Uh, and then Purdue, Kansas, I don't know. Josh Jackson's going to have to spend a decent amount of time guarding Caleb Swanigan, which is going to be interesting. I just, I mean, would you have him do that? Like, I th- well, I don't know if you're like 
gunning you're like all right josh jackson we want you on him all night but i think when they run out you know swanigan and haas together like josh jackson kind of you're not going to put Devonte graham frank mason or gerald vick on him no mckay look no uh but i also think you can run that team off the floor like you should be able to yeah. you should be able to make it so that purdue is like oh crap uh right and we, that's we probably have to get haas out of there yeah uh, and that's a probably a preview of how this game is going to go i mean right. i think this i think kansas is you know the overwhelming favorite as they should be purdue i think will put up a good fight but Kansas is just too good at what they do and that they're going to make Purdue uncomfortable. Um, Friday, we get Baylor, South Carolina. We get UCLA, Kentucky. We get UNC, Butler. We get Wisconsin and Florida. One of these games is obviously much more attractive than the other three. That, of course, <laughs> is UCLA, Kentucky. Oh, I thought uh, you thought I was going to say Wisconsin, Florida, yeah. didn't you? Uh, no, I, I mean, okay. I am most excited personally for Wisconsin and Florida. I don't like that it's going to be going on concurrently with UCLA and Kentucky. I think those games start 20 minutes apart. So I don't think I'm going to be able to watch any of UCLA Kentucky live. That'll be a rewatch on Saturday situation. But um, I'm not even going to ask you which one's most intriguing of these four because that's obvious. So you're, real, you're a big enough Badger fan that you would rather watch the Badgers play Florida than... Oh, watch. no. But, I mean, I'm, we're going to be you know they're out for the game and every single tv is gonna have it's not gonna be a choice if it was my choice then you know half the tvs would be on each the choice is you don't have to be out for the game i guess that's your choice do i have that choice i don't think i do i mean i have that choice i will exercise that choice i think um (laughs) i don't have that choice okay yeah Waylon. i mean the people need Waylon out at the bars (laughs) on friday like if he's not there i mean who knows what kind of chaos could ensue um (laughs) I you know I I think is it a is it a hot take to say I think Baylor smokes South Carolina probably not I mean it's a three and a half point spread but I I think Baylor's legitimately good I think South Carolina just caught a hungover or just uninterested Duke team and played their best game of the year I think that that's that's going to be a, a beat down I think North Carolina is going to just completely wax Butler yep. I think it's bad news for Butler that UNC played poorly against Arkansas and still won. Like, I feel like they're due for a really good game. Right. I think, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, I think South Carolina is going to have a, a pretty big letdown game. Um, mm-hmm. I'm surprised, honestly, that Florida is a one and a half point favorite over Wisconsin. I know they're a four and Wisconsin's an eight. Uh, to me, I, I, I think you look at the way Wisconsin's playing right now, uh, I mean, it's pretty impressive, at least when they're making shots. I mean, you can say that about any team, but uh, <laughs> they've been making shots. And um, they have. I don't know. They, they, they have three guys that have a lot more of these games under their belt than uh, anyone on Florida. Mm-hmm. So who, um, do you, who do you have in UCLA, Kentucky? I ask, this is the one game, like, I usually pick, you know, a team that I want to win for every game, not based on a bracket, but just based on – you know, if they have a, a player that I like or someone who I want to watch another game of for draft purposes, but like this one, I really don't think I would be upset either way. I think when I mean, we've already seen this game once, it was awesome. UCLA one by five at Kentucky. I think I want to see UCLA keep going just to see where like the Lonzo ball hype goes. Like, is there a cap for, for how much Lonzo ball and how much LeVar ball this country can handle? I don't know. See, I think you're, I don't even think it is Lonzo Ball hype. It's just LeVar Ball hype. Like, when was the last time I, you were looking at, like, the TV screen and, like, 
they were saying anything about Lonzo Ball. I think a lot. I think when you, if you watch like those post game shows, you know, on CBS Sports or ESPN or wherever, like it's just man, Lonzo Ball, that, a revolution. That, I told you he's Jason Kidd. You know, it's like all those things are like, yeah, pretty much true. But, <laughs> I told you he's Magic Johnson. Yeah, it's like I mean, honestly, you hear that, and it's just crazy. And it's like, man, like Bryce Alford played pretty well. TJ Leaf was awesome, and like and I don't want to take anything away from Ball. It's just the hype train is crazy. I can't remember there being this much hype for one guy on a team that's not just him, you know, like I can see it when it's Kemba Walker dragging a bunch of nobodies with him and, you know, everything's all about him. Like, you know, Lonzo's played really well. He's clearly the focal point of this team, but there's, it's not just him. It's, it's, it's an odd story to me. UCLA though, like let's say they win or which either way, whoever wins this game, you got to then go through UNC in theory. And then you got to go through Kansas in theory. And then you got to go through whoever wins, you know, the other side, which is probably going to be Gonzaga or Arizona if you want to go by the seedings. So if you're Kentucky, you would have to go beat Wichita State, UCLA, North Carolina, Kansas, and then Gonzaga or Arizona. Like that's that's got to be one of the all time hardest runs to the title game ever. And again, I'm not saying that's how it's going to work out. But if you're going to come out of the bottom half of that South Regional, you're going through an all time gauntlet. Yeah, man. Should be exciting. Should be. Uh, I guess you guys all know where you can find Nick on Friday. He'll be he'll be out against against his will. Out and he about. Has, he has no choice. He'll be out. I don't I really don't have a choice. You don't He's understand. He's got how contracts with all the local bars where he has to make an <laughs> appearance every Friday night. Uh, otherwise he reneges and I don't, uh, know. don't know. Don't make me don't make me sound like Ron Dane. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Dane actually does do that. <laughs> he makes an an appearance fee. <laughs> yeah, he he had one at Seven Eleven. He's been at the Church Key. Yeah, he does. Uh, okay, real quick, I wanted to ask you. Um, Bovada has the odds out to win Most Outstanding Player for the tournament, and there's there's some pretty interesting ones. Um, Lonzo Ball, of course, is the favorite at plus six hundred. Frank Mason, Justin Jackson, and Alonzo Trier are the next three. Um, but you can get Dylan Brooks at plus two thousand. So basically, if you think Oregon's going to win the national title, I think you should place... Which you shouldn't. Which you shouldn't. But if you do, you could put $100 on Dylan Brooks to win most outstanding player, and you're winning 2000 bucks. So as you kind of take a look I, here... Are there I like any... Derek Walton. Yeah. Well, that's the other one, too. Yeah. If you think... Because this... like, I actually think this Michigan team could win it all. Like, I think sure. that's in play. It's um, in play. And well, the thing did, about I think it would, he would win the yes MLP. Obviously. Well, that's the thing about Michigan is there's only really one guy who would win it. It would like clearly be Walden, even if he isn't the best player mm-hmm. down the stretch. It would it would have to be him. He's just the col- he's the college basketball player on that right, team, exactly. Like the, the point guard who's just like right. everyone recognizes. It would like unless like Wagner has a you know a massive massive game in the title game, but like same with Lonzo Ball. Like even if TJ Leaf outplays Lonzo Ball, Lonzo Ball is getting MLP if UCLA wins. Same with Frank Mason. I think right. Um, like TJ Leaf really shouldn't even be on there. Like that that's how that's how much it'll be Lonzo's award if if UCLA wins. Like right, it, exactly. It really just I'm matter. honestly surprised he is on there. <laughs> I mean, Ethan Happ and Bronson Koenig are on there, but Nigel Hayes is not. I think that's a little bit odd. Um but the, the thing is with like Arizona or North Carolina even it's like do you would you bet on Justin Jackson or would you bet on Joel Berry or you know even like Kennedy Meeks could have a monster game and grab 15 rebounds Arizona do you bet on Markinen or is it Trier it's like, a sucker bet man. it is yeah uh Josh Jackson to me is is a solid one uh Nigel Williams Goss if that's on there is a solid one he's on there uh plus Tri- 850 Trier. I, I think it would be Trier over Markinen mm-hmm. pretty easily Okay, uh, last thing that I want to hit on 
before we get out of here. NBA fights are making a comeback. Over the last week, we've had Russell Westbrook and Samaj Christian versus Steph Curry. We've had the Bucks versus the Lakers. We've had Serge Ibaka slash Jamal McGlore versus Brooke Lopez. Or no, Robin Lopez. Uh, that one was probably the best of the three. Legit punches were thrown 0 for 2 in terms of those punches actually landing. But had they landed, we probably would have seen more than one game suspensions for Ibaka and Lopez, respectively. One, why are, why are there no cool fights in the NBA anymore? And... Actually, we'll just start with that. I don't want to. Question two is question two isn't really even in the same line. So we'll start with that. Why are there no good NBA fights anymore? Uh, you know, the guys that are capable of starting and taking part in the cool fights. I think there might be less than five in the league right now. Whereas, I think in the nineties, in the eighties you had uh, maybe like 20% of the league was capable <laughs> of being in those fights and like sure. being a major participant. Whereas just now I just think there's those guys just don't really exist anymore. The guy where you're just like, I ah, man, I would not, would not want to pick a fight with him. Mm-hmm. Also the guys that you definitely don't want to pick a fight with, nobody picks a fight with because there, yeah, there's no one else to challenge them. Right. Like unless they're going to fight each other. Yeah, like, exactly. Like you, you would need it to be, you know, so say we have like five of those guys. Well, let's try to name to them. Like, one. who are the guys? I don't want to set a number on it. Like, how many can you think of off the top of your head? I'm going to say Matt Barnes. All right. Uh, I'll say Zebo. Yep. Is Tony Allen in there? I feel like people would like, I don't know that Tony Allen has that like nastiness to him. Like he's, he has that on defense, but like, I don't think he's like in the same type of personality as a Matt Barnes. Uh, he might make the list though. Yeah, I guess maybe. Uh, I think. Are there any players like under thirty that are on this list? That might be a better question. Stephen Adams. Oh yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Sure. Uh, David West is an under thirty, but like I don't see David West, West ever being in that type of fight. Just because I don't uh. like. I think he's a guy that just nobody wants to f with. But I don't know. I just don't see him. Mm-hmm. Well, there's guys like I wouldn't fight. want to fight Hassan Whiteside, but I also don't think he has. No. He's not like a. You don't look at him as like an enforcer. No, no, not at all. No, yeah, <laughs> I'm saying I agree um, with you. Yeah, I just, it's tough. I think this it's, is sad that we can't think of more guys who I'm would saying, willingly though. fight so, like, in an NBA game. You would game. need it to be like oh, Ron or Test. I guess. I mean, what do you mean? I guess. Well, I mean, but <laughs> we have video evidence. I just don't think he cares anymore, man. Like, I just don't. I don't know. I, this man was suspended for an entire season. I just don't think he's into that anymore. I think he's too old. He's, he it. makes the list. I agree he's too <laughs> old, but, like, there's again, this is where we're at. There's no one else. It's like, I don't, see, I don't even think – I think half the guys we named, their heart just wouldn't be in the fight anymore. Like, if you'd caught them in their peak fight, fighting age, sure. they would have been into it a little bit more. But, like, Zebo, even right now, like, yeah, nobody's going to go mess with Zebo. But if someone did mess with Zebo, I feel like he would be kind of like, oh, man, really? Like, you're like gonna, if you're going to make me really punch make you, fine, me, I'll like, do, it. do this. Like, he wouldn't like take great pleasure in it. Okay. Uh, what about Demarcus Cousins? I think he's I, in there. I think he's provocability. Uh, ten out of ten. I think he's a fake tough guy. Okay. Uh, Jason Terry. Uh, Jason Terry makes a lot of my lists, but not this one. He was getting a little chippy with the Sacramento fans last night, which I kind of totally forgot about their little rivalry. 
uh, but Jason Terry did not. Uh, actually, I'm on Basketball Reference right now, and I'm sorting players by age, and that's how I'm looking at this list. <laughs> uh, it's pretty sparse. I mean, Udonis Haslam. He's another guy, though, man. Like He's like an enforcer. When you get emeritus. into your like upper 30s, I feel like yeah. you're just like... Like, I don't even think any of these guys are partying anymore. They're just like, like, I think Ron Artest, when he gets done with the game, just kind of like goes back to his hotel room, like, you know, does whatever and then goes to bed. Like, I, I See, don't it's, th- it's that does whatever time that you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, what about Nurkic? I think you know what I meant in that does whatever time. Um, I'm not sure if I do. <laughs> Nurkic, I I don't know. I t- TBD on Nurkic. Okay. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, we're in a... We're in a rough time if you're looking for NBA fights, and like I, I don't mean, know. If I it's think ca- the throwing punches, the um, the Lopez Ibaka one. Honestly, that might be the closest you get to a real fight in the next like five years. Like, would you agree that we're never ever going to get anything on the level of Malice at the Palace again? Uh, yeah. I I mean, what that's such an extreme example that would be tough to top. But even shortly after that, wasn't there a big? I want to say it was Timberwolves Nuggets. I know Mello was involved. Mello got hit with like a 20-game suspension. Mm-hmm. And even that was pretty – I mean, there were legit punches. Guys are on the ground. Like, we haven't, we haven't seen anything like that, it seems like, in 10 – you know, probably since, so 10 years at least. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a while. It's tough. If, if ever. All right, well, that's going to do it. Uh, Three Amigos, I believe, will be back on Friday if DJ is back in the state of Wisconsin. He's been gone all week. Uh, but this was a lot of fun. Read the mock draft on rotowire.com. Like we said, that went up yesterday afternoon. You can find it on the NBA page. Go Cats. It's a players program. Go Badgers. Uh, we'll, reconvene players next, program. We'll, we'll reconvene next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.